0: Okay, so we're getting close to wrapping up our study on baptism. Um, This is the sixth class of a seven-week class, and it's the one class I've devoted to a historical analysis of baptism. Now, the church has had 2,000 years of history regarding this practice, so. We're not going to cover all of it in the next 30 minutes. But there is one particular um, part in the history of the church regarding baptism that I thought would be good to take a look at. Um, so we're going to zero in into the second and third centuries. So we were just in the book of Acts last week. Um, we're just taking a few steps out of the book of Acts this week. So. Uh, a few things about early church just to kind of know your players who's going, what's going on and who are the people of the early church that we talk about quite a bit um, the first one that we usually talk quite a bit about is Polycarp Polycarp is a first to second century church father and he sits at the feet of St. John so John who walks with the Lord who ends up writing The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. That John disciples uh, a man named Polycarp. Um, Now, we do have writings from Polycarp. um, And one of the writings, Polycarp says, when he's 86 years old, he writes, For 86 years I have served Christ. Now, the church says, because he was baptized as an infant, He served Christ for 86 years. That's how he was in Christ. But it's not an explicit mention of baptism, of infant baptism. So you can debate that either way. But Polycarp disciples a man by the name of Irenaeus, who is 2nd and 3rd century. And Irenaeus has some writings. And Irenaeus writes, um, this is 130, so Irenaeus is is 130 AD. Polycarp is like 100. Uh, Irenaeus does write in one of his writings how the church baptizes infants young and old. So he's kind of our first explicit mention outside of the book of Acts that the church does have this practice of baptizing infants. But the real slam dunk here is a man by the name of Origen. Origen who is also 2nd, 3rd century, but a little bit later, uh, his dates are 180. So, Polycarp sits at the feet of John, Irenaeus at the feet of Polycarp, Origen at the feet of Irenaeus, and Origen writes in one of his writings, the church has received from the apostles the custom of administering baptism to infants. So, we're explicitly told by, by origin this is the tradition that the apostles have carried on he is saying the church has always administered this practice of baptizing infants so this question really isn't up for debate and whether or not the early church practiced baptism of infants where we know historically that the church did and we have very good evidence that the church did um, but that's not who i want to focus on today <clears throat> The person I want to focus on today comes right during the time of origin. He is a man by the name of Tertullian. He is also 2nd to 3rd century. Now, why do I bring up Tertullian? Well, what's the main debate, even today, about baptism? What's the number one question, the thing the church still wrestles with? when do you baptize? Right. Still the still the main debate 2000 years later. When you baptize? And Jack, you were baptized as a believer, yeah. not as an infant because you grew up Baptist. Baptist, right? So, the language of the early church Now, this is this is all in Latin because we're we're in 2nd and 3rd century. Um you have what's called paedo-baptism pedo infant and then you have credo baptism. Credo is to believe or believers baptism. So this is the great debate. When do you baptize? Do you baptize pedo infants as soon as they're born or do you baptize do you have credo baptism. Do you baptize when they can confess their belief and they believe in Jesus? Um, So Jack grew up in a tradition that adhered to credo-baptism, or believer's baptism, they'll call it. Uh, Lutherans are paedo-baptism. So the reason why I bring up Tertullian is Tertullian's the first church father who actually argues for credo-baptism. And he'll be the one that a lot of modern-day credo-baptists will point to as Here's Tertullian. We have early church father, um, 2nd, 3rd century. Tertullian's dates are, uh, well, I just put 2nd and 3rd. He's, I think he's 220, um, around 220. It's about 40 years after Irenaeus. But they'll point to Tertullian and say, here he is. The church church was arguing for credo-baptism all along. So... I want to take a look at um, what Tertullian actually writes. So, Tertullian writes this treatise on baptism. It's about 20 chapters. It's not long. Each chapter is like a page. And you can look it up and read the entire thing yourself if you'd like. But he writes this treatise, and he's going to argue for credo-baptism. Now, he's operating from the place of knowing that the church practices that's, is baptism That's the foundation. The church has this practice he's going to argue against it and i want to take a look at his arguments on why he argues against it but first a few things about tertullian that you need to know um, one is that he's considered so he's 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 writing from carthage and he's considered the founder of western theology he writes in latin Um, He is a great writer and apologist of the Christian faith. He's not ordained. He's not a pastor. In fact, we're not entirely sure what his occupation was. A lot of people speculate that perhaps he's a lawyer because he writes so dang well, and his arguments are very thorough. Um, Tertullian's the one who actually comes up with the word Trinity. Uh, We don't have the word Trinity without Tertullian. He's writing in Latin. He writes three in one. Trinitas three in one, um, and from there the church, the Western church develops the word Trinity. Our church, our own church's name is because Tertullian invents this word to describe a mystery of the Christian faith. So he's, a, he's an apologist, he writes, he writes, he writes. He's um, an adult convert, he grew up as an atheist, and he's a staunch defender of the Christian faith. Um, but he's not canonized as a saint. And there's good reason why he's not. He's not saint. You don't know him as Saint Tertullian. The church did not canonize him. Um, because here's what we do know about Tertullian. Tertullian was what was called a strict moralist. Rigorous, the opposite of your friend, Paula. He, uh, we would call him a legalist in our language today. Uh, he had a very harsh view of God. He was very fearful of God. God, almost the foil of the Lutheran understanding of God, that we have a gracious God, a benevolent God. Tertullian was, he lived in fear of God. Um, he rejects the idea that if you sin, you can come back into the church. For Tertullian, if you committed a grave sin, that was, you're done, you're out. You, you can't, you're, there's no repentance allowed. If you commit a grave sin, there's the door. You're never allowed back into the church. This is Tertullian's view of God. Um, and he operates from the standpoint of excessive fear of God. And, and we'll see this in his treatise on baptism. He'll, he'll go so far as to say that if you're even a godparent of a child and that child ends up wandering away from the faith, it's not good for you. If you're going to be a godparent of a child who grows up to wander, your, your own salvation's in jeopardy too. And so you'll see he's got a very he's a very strict moralist, rigorous, rigorous, high, high standard of what it takes um, to, to enter the gates of heaven. And so Tertullian's gonna write this treatise that we're gonna look at. And he's going to be the first one to argue against the practice of baptizing infants in the church and i want to just evaluate his argument and here's what i want you to think about are tertullian's arguments the same as the argument of the modern day baptist they end in the same place but why why does the modern day baptist argue against infant baptism what are the what are the arguments today on why you don't baptize a baby?
1: Well, the first thing they'll tell you is that they don't know what uh, they don't know anything about Jesus, yet. and if they don't know, then they're being baptized, then they don't know what it's even for, and so they wouldn't have any credence. If, if, if.
0: That's it, right? Because they don't know, or or they're not able to confess, then the baptism's not valid. So one of the modern, so one of the current reasons that we don't baptize infants for, so, um, credo baptists will say, is because it's invalid because they don't believe yet. So, so that is an argument um, that a modern day Baptist will make. The question is, is that an argument that Tertullian will make? That's what I want to look at his words about. Um, so modern day argument, you have to choose. It's got to be your choice. If it's not your choice, it's invalid. Um, Baptism doesn't do anything. Is also part of the argument, right? That there's nothing efficacious about baptism. That this is actually something you do, and if it's you, what you do and it's your work, then you can't be. There can't be any sort of grace tied into that because it's all about your action here. That's a modern day argument from Cradle Baptist. Um But well, let's look at Tertullian. So here's quote number one. Now his entire treatise, if you just Google. Um, Tertullian's treatise on baptism you'll be able to read the whole thing yourself he spends the first 18 chapters of his treatise just talking about baptism and the types of baptism in the Old Testament and the New Testament going through scripture passages but then in chapter 18 we we finally get to his point here which is titled of the persons to whom in the time when baptism is to be administered so Here's his argument. First quote. But they whose office it is know that baptism is not rashly to be administered. Give to everyone who begs you. And give not the holy things to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine. And lay not hands easily on any. Share not other men's sins. And if Philip so easily baptized the chamberlain, Let us reflect that a manifest and conspicuous evidence that the Lord deemed him worthy had been interposed. The scripture which he was reading falls in opportunely with his faith. Paul, too, was, in fact, speedily baptized, for Simon, his host, speedily recognized him to be an appointed vessel of election. God's approbation sends sure premonitory tokens before it. Every petition may both deceive and be deceived. And so according to the circumstances and disposition and even age of each individual, the delay of baptism is preferable, principally in the case of little children. (laughs) Okay, what's he saying? First point. First, he's saying it's it's preferable that children delay their baptism. Is he saying it's invalid that children are baptized? Now, He never makes the point that the baptism of infants is invalid. He's making the point that it's preferable to wait. But why is he saying it's preferable to wait? Did you catch what what his main argument is? What's the scripture passage he's working with? Don't cast your pearl before the swine. This is Jesus in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before the swine. What's, What's Jesus saying? Don't throw holy things to God. Don't throw holy things to dogs. What's his point? Baptism is so holy. It is such a precious thing. Why would you cast it upon little children?
1: Why wouldn't
0: you? Ah, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) Because, but, but, see, I want you to see that at this point. It's not because baptism is a little thing to Tertullian. It's because it's such a high thing, it's such a holy thing, it's such it's such a pearl of God. What let's not just throw this around speedily he says. This is this is the quote he keeps using because the church's language is well Paul was baptized speedily, these households were baptized speedily, the 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 Ethiopian eunuch was baptized speedily right there on the spot. We baptized him. And so Tertullian's picking up the language of the church, right? The church is saying, baptize him speedily. This is common in their day, that when you were were born, you were baptized the very next day. Even Martin Luther, born November 10th, baptized the very next day on the feast of St. Martin, which is why his parents named him Martin. He was baptized on the feast of St. Martin. So it was common you baptize speedily. And Tertullian's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Are we not casting our pearls before the swine here, baptizing people so quickly without ensuring that they are worthy enough to receive such a precious gift? This is Tertullian's first point. Rachel. Was it the
1: mortality rate for babies thousands
0: of years ago not very good? Right, Yeah. And uh, even more reason why the church would have the practice of a ministry administering baptism at a young age. So, so first thing or two things I want to take away from this first, po- his first point. One, he has a very high view of baptism. He knows exactly what's at stake, and because of that, he's saying it's preferable to delay it. He never makes the argument that it's invalid or that your baptism as an infant doesn't count. No, no, no. Tertullian would never think that. Um, when you have such a high view of baptism, he is working with the idea that this is something that we should wait to give to children, and we'll see why, and Edith's already picking up on it. But any questions about his first quote here? About his first point he's making? I'm
1: not having trouble with his quote, but a lot
0: It for her, she's trusting that God worked the first time.
1: Why would they require it if, if, if you have proved that you've been baptized? Yeah, why would they require it?
0: So, the idea of being re baptized isn't around the first 1500 years of the church, you just don't see it until you meet a man by the name of Pastor Melchior Hoffman who, in 1534, declares himself a visionary leader of the anabaptist movement and anabaptist anna greek for again baptism again baptism that's his whole he's an anabaptist leader and he comes into germany and he starts preaching this that your baptism as an infant wasn't valid you need to be baptized again and now you know with the reformation tree these branches that find their roots back to anabaptist movements they still have the same theology that you need to be baptized again your baptism as an infant was invalid because you didn't make the choice this is something that you do it's, it goes back back to um, pastor hoffman but tertullian <laughs> you try to run that idea by him that you should be baptized again you'd probably be out of the church in his in his way of thinking because, and Luther writes this way, too. Luther says it's a grave sin to be baptized again because you're essentially telling God that your first baptism, that his promises didn't count to you. And you're mocking him. And you're saying to him, what you did wasn't good enough. I know, I know better. And as Paul says, I'm, you're boasting in the flesh. Why are, why, this is Paul writing to, to the churches in Galatia. Why are you boasting in the flesh? And what does he mean by that? Why are you boasting in things that you do for them it was circumcision right well this is something we do we're going to keep the law we'll show you no why are you boasting in what you do and so and so here it is in the church we have a gift from god baptism is god's work it's grace it's his action and who are we to say ah you know what we'll take it from here it's our work now and that baptism as an infant you didn't do anything there I'm going to make the choice and this is going to be my work and that way, Luther says, no, no, it's a grave sin it's dangerous it's dangerous to the soul because it, it, it leads to arrogance um, I'm doing this for God yeah second, second argument, second point Tertullian writes, here's a quote why is it necessary that on account of baptism that the sponsors likewise should be thrust into danger who both themselves, by reason of mortality, may fail to fulfill their promises, and they may be disappointed by the development of an evil disposition in those whom they stood. What's his point? This child, you have no idea if they're going to grow up to be a hellion or a saint. An ex-murderer. That's right. So why would you take the chance? Because he's saying, if you're their godparent and they grow up to be a wicked person, your soul's thrust in danger, Tertullian's point. So his idea is, we should wait. It's better for you. Make sure the child is going to live a pretty holy life. Show that they are they are walking on that narrow way. And then, this way, godparents even are, are not at risk. Because um, you don't
1: believe everybody's.
0: We'll get there. <laughs> no one
1: would
0: ever be baptized. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll get this, last, this last quote. We're going to see it come to fruition here. But you can start, you can, what my point is is Tertullian's argument for credo baptism the same as the modern day credo Baptist? My argument is going to be no. They're completely, they're just foundationally different arguments. They're almost diametrically opposed to one another. Because Tertullian's coming from the place that baptism is a very high thing. And, and we shouldn't be throwing it around lightly, whereas the modern-day Crado-Baptist, it, it is something that seems to be very light. It's, it, you don't even need it for salvation. It's just, you know, take it or leave it. It's up to you, and you can do it again and again if you want to. It, that's not the main thing. But for Tertullian, it is such the main thing that we're waiting. But let's go to the third point, and this is where we see all of his arguments come together. So he goes right to the Scripture verse that the church would use, right? So the Lord does say, forbid them not to come unto me so he's quoting luke 18 here this is the church's teaching why do we baptize infants well the church would have thrown this verse out quite a bit let the little children come to me for to such belong the kingdom of god and we know that the little children the parents are bringing are infants we're told explicitly in the gospels they're bringing breathes infants they're carrying them in their arms and jesus says of the little children to such belong the kingdom of God. So, Tertullian goes right to it. Okay, what's he say? Let them, let them, he says, come while they're growing up. Let them come while they're learning. Let them become Christians when they have been become able to know Christ. And here it is. Why does the innocent period of life hasten to the remission of sins? What's his view of baptism? Does Tertullian believe that baptism forgives sins? Yes, yes he does. He, yes, why, His point is, why would you hasten to the forgiveness of sins, baptism, when what? When you're innocent. What's his, what's his theological framework?
1: He isn't thinking that the
0: infants can sin. That's right. When you're an infant, you're not a sinner. When you're a little bitty guy... You know, why would you go get such a great gift? Wait until you've lived your whole life, Jack, and committed all the sins that you've done, and then at the end get the gift to forgive all those sins. Tertullian's the first one who, who advocates for deathbed baptisms.
1: Yeah, I gonna know you are going
0: to have a deathbed. <laughs> the point is, this is such a precious gift. Why waste it when you're just a little baby? save it till the end is tertullian's argument right because it does forgive sins tertullian is under he is in line with the church's teaching the church has always taught baptism forgives sins why because the apostles say on the day of pentecost repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins that through these means god truly does forgive sins and tertullian's right there with the church yes it does forgive sins his whole point is But why waste it on such innocent life? Let's save it till the end. Um, And So so then we see, if you go back to the beginning of his treatise, how far Tertullian is from modern-day Credo Baptist. He writes the very first line, because you can tell a lot by how a treatise is going, by how they open it up. And he says, Happy is our sacrament of water, and that by washing away the sins of our early blindness, we are set free and admitted into eternal life. He goes on to talk about the weighty import of baptism, how important it is. See, it's not, matter, it's not a matter—it um, matters so much to him, I should say, that it, it is salvation, it is the forgiveness of sins, that you should wait until you absolutely need it on your deathbed. Pat- is this the same teaching or the same argument as modern-day credo-baptists? No. Pat- not at all i'll get to you rachel it's not the same argument it's diametrically opposed to one another now they they end in the same place where they both they both end in the place of you shouldn't baptize infants but the modern day baptist points to tertullian and says see we have an early church father who argues for believers baptism but then they totally dismiss his entire argument why his argument why is because baptism is so precious it does forgive sins We shouldn't waste it. Did he have children? That I'm here to tell you, those little boogers are (laughs) sympathetic.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tertullian does not hold a symbolic view of baptism. That is nowhere in this treatise. That is just a symbol. Uh, not at all. And and he never says infant baptism is invalid. Um, he would never say what Pastor Melchior Hoffman comes along and says fifteen hundred years later. That, that that baptism actually didn't do anything. Um, but he's the one that modern-day Baptists point to as an early church witness for their modern-day position. So the conclusion is somewhat similar, but the way they get there is, is completely opposite. And there's a lot of things about Tertullian that I like that he says about baptism, his first sentence. It's a sacrament of water and that by washing away the sins of our early blindness, we're set free and admitted into eternal life. We agree. Now, when that should be applied, we don't agree. Right? Because the child is born, and this gets to our doctrine of original sin, which the church hasn't worked out yet, because when does original sin's um, theology come into fruition? Who, who works that? Pastor a man by the name of Augustine, who... Who comes right after Tertullian.
1: Okay, what it's a quote, and I can't quote it. Yep. But whoever leads a little child into harm or sin, then he should be, I don't know what It's
0: better for him to tie a millstone around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's what I
1: wanted to
0: say. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And the church would say Tertullian here is leading children down the wrong path. Anytime we're leading people away from God's gifts, that's um, dangerous to be, a dangerous place to be in. So, if, so, you know, I would never come along with a family who had just had an infant and tell them, maybe, maybe uh, you shouldn't have that child baptized. Yeah. In the 32 years
1: I've been here, Pastor, we had a
0: group of people... Thoughts on Tertullian? There's three of his, the main, main arguments...
1: Yeah, well,
0: boasting in the flesh doesn't leave room for that. Right? It is my choice. Because we at the, old, the old sinful Adam wants to have something to cling on to that I actually contributed. I did something. This is on me, right? I read nothing. This old sinful Adam wants Ephesians that. Ephesians
1: chapter 2, verse eight.
0: Uh, yeah, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift from God so that no one may boast. Paul's so consistent. So the, the, like the, the worst thing that the soul can do is to boast in one's own salvation. I did this. Um, and this is Luther's point, that quote that I shared a couple of weeks ago, that when Peter writes, humble yourselves therefore under, uh, under God, Luther says the, the one who is humbled is the one who recognizes that in himself he has no will, no power, no ability no choice that he has to become saved. It is totally God's work. And until there's even a sliver of one's will to think that they contribute, they're, they're, they're not humbled then. They're still boasting in the flesh in some regard. That's all the
1: more reason for babies to be baptized because they don't have
0: that notion. It's a beautiful picture of it. It's the church's point. They give us, they, this is the beautiful thing about the sacraments of the church. Paul Paul writes, what about marriage? That in marriage, which he calls a sacramentum, a mystery, we're given a beautiful picture of what? This relationship of Christ in the church. And as we see husband and wife, we are given a picture, something that we can see of Christ in his church. And it's so likewise in the the sacrament of baptism. When we see an infant who can do nothing but receive, we're given a beautiful picture of what it looks like when God comes to save us, I did not. you did not choose me, I chose you. Because it's like, what's that baby doing to be saved? Nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. It's, it's entirely God's work. And so the church has given a picture, uh, something that we can see, that try to wrap our minds around this mystery that, that God is the one who always works salvation, and it is 100% his doing, and we contribute nothing to it. Um, I
1: had a discussion this 40 years, we were having this, this debate. Well, I call it a debate, discussion, debate. Sure. And he, his argument was that, um, that what about the people on the cross? That sure. He, he wasn't baptized. And right. He, he met Jesus in paradise. Jesus told him that he did. Sure. And so he, I, my, my question to him was about the when should somebody be baptized? Yeah. And, and the significance of it, and, and then I had one gal that I worked with. And she, I was been kind of mentoring her. And she was she hadn't been baptized yet, but she was talking about, well, it's just uh, an outward expression of what you feel in your heart. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. you, know, you you don't need to fool around with this. It's you need to you and gather up your kids that have not been baptized yeah take care of this, yeah. Family. Anyway, what is, what is your what is your uh, thoughts on that? About the people on the cross that he had not been baptized, but he still he
0: was, uh, got to Sure, yeah, of course he did. He had Jesus's word, yeah. and um, you know Jesus had not yet instituted the sacrament of holy baptism. He does that after he's risen from the dead. Um, so here on the cross, baptism hasn't been a sacrament instituted by him. So well,
1: there, there was baptism, but it was a different... John's. John's. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm Lutheran, so I'm okay with both. I'm okay with the thief being saved apart from baptism, and I'm okay with the teaching that baptism now saves you. Um, because the scripture speaks that way what i'm not okay with is because the thief on the cross was saved apart from baptism then that means all these promises about about baptism no longer are valid yeah. which is what the baptist does see this thief on the cross he was saved without baptism therefore you don't need baptism to be saved no scripture doesn't speak that way and time and this is where there's a little bit of tertullian inside of me i guess anytime we start to make an argument to to belittle or to bring down God's gifts, I get really nervous. I get really nervous about low, like I want a very high view of the sacraments. I want, I want a high view of what God has given to us for our assurance that we are saved. And anytime someone comes around trying to belittle that or to bring it down or to say it's not important, uh, I get really nervous because you're, you're not you're you're taking on God here. Um and and, and they're not seeing it that way, right? Cuz they're just they're just focused on the thief on the cross. And he's saved apart from baptism. Yes. Yes, and we're right there with them on that. Yes, of course. But then where do you go from there? Do you go from there saying, "Well, then baptism doesn't save." Well, take it up with the apostles.
1: Yeah.
0: Take it up with Jesus. Yeah. Um I can't go there with you. Um, but we keep talking. You know. So, Because if they believe in Jesus and they believe in his word, then they, they must believe what he says about baptism. He
1: didn't convince me. and I didn't convince him. Yeah, we'll keep talking. <laughs> I want to end
0: with this last quote. It's at the bottom of your page because I think it's the best thing Tertullian writes. It's the very first line of his treatise, Happy is our sacrament of water in that by washing away the sins of our early blindness we're set free. And admitted into eternal life.
1: Let's end with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father.